0: 1984. A lady lawyer. She's a lady lawyer in the early 80s. She's also a Duke graduate, which I think is really cool. Um, So, obviously, she's really smart. She's pretty successful. If you look up pictures of her on the internet, on the Google machine, (laughs) um, she is, like, gorgeous. Like, she's got, like, this, like, big, thick 80s hair and like a really like that like Julia Roberts smile that was like really yeah no she doesn't have it perm though it's it doesn't matter this does not matter (laughs) um anyway so she's a lawyer she's a woman in Washington D C in 1984 and uh, on the morning of Tuesday January 24th she doesn't show up to work. And her secretary gets kind of worried because it's not like her. Number one, she has a secretary, which...
1: She's a boss. She's obviously, a she's lady. killing it. Yeah, she's, she's yeah. on top of the game. Living the
0: dream. Um, so she calls one of her friends
1: who... One of the... Whose friends?
0: One of Carolyn's,
1: Carolyn's friends. Carolyn's friends.
0: She calls her friend and says, like, hey, she didn't show up to work. Do you mind going to check on her? And the friend grabs a a male neighbor who lives near her and says, like, we have to go see what's going on. And unfortunately, when they walk into her house, they find her body. Um, She's completely naked, face down in the basement. She it must have been, like, horrible for these people to find this woman because she is face down in the basement, she's completely nude, she's been raped, Uh, her hands are tied behind her back with like the cord from a set of Venetian blinds, like that really thin kind of strong cord, Um, and then she's also been strangled. And her body, I I just imagine it being like completely horrifying, like just walking into a dark basement.
1: Almost like hard time registering what you're seeing, like believing what you're looking at.
0: So her body is strung up, it's hanging. Oh my God. Yeah, like it just sounds like something out of a complete nightmare. And it's her friends who are finding her. I mean, thank God it wasn't like her parents or something. doesn't matter. Um, so they call the police, and, like, to the credit of the Arlington police, they, like, move into action. They start canvassing the area immediately. They do, like, a really thorough crime scene investigation of her house. Um, and later that week, they get a tip that seems really promising. So this woman, Muriel Ranser, who... In my research, I saw it cited that she was the sister of the one of the people who found Carolyn's body. The
1: the neighbor, the the friend.
0: Yeah, so there might have been like kind of a weird connection there, but uh, weird name, really. (laughs) Muriel always sounds like like a little old lady name. So I imagine she's like this tiny old woman who calls up the, the the old woman in the neighborhood, the Arlington Police Department, and says. That she saw this man, David Vasquez, who she describes as a complete and total like creeper, like super creepy, kind of just like S- leching around sketchy, the neighborhood.
1: Skeety, all the words.
0: So she tells them that she saw him peeping on Carolyn the day that she was murdered, the day Jeez. that Carolyn was murdered, as she was like sunbathing in her backyard, um, and then. A couple days later, as they're talking to the neighbors, they speak to another neighbor named Michael Ansari, who actually seems to, like, kind of back up Muriel's story because he says that he saw David Vazquez behaving really strangely in the neighborhood the day after Carolyn's body was found.
1: So two witnesses have said the day of and the day after this guy was in the neighborhood. Yeah, and behaving strangely. Okay.
0: So he already is pretty creepy. Um, police find a pubic hair that might be a match for him in Carolyn's home. So they have enough to kind of bring him in for an interview. At the time, they didn't have DNA analysis, but it
1: was, they just looked at the follicle and... They have enough evidence to book him and interrogate
0: him. So- yeah. So they bring him in for an interview and he confesses. Like, not once. He confesses. He comes in three times and confesses.
1: Wow. Sounds like a... Open and shut case, good place.
0: Exactly, board. right? Like justice is d- delivered or <laughs> what's the saying?
1: I mean is delivered. Justice is <laughs> usually
0: served. Justice <laughs> is served. Okay, except that it's not. Like, what? except that David Vazquez Was not in the area. David Vazquez never touched Carolyn Ham. David Vazquez was a 30-year-old janitor at a McDonald's who had an IQ of less than 70. Oh, man. Who still lived with his mother in Manassas, Virginia, 30 miles away from Carolyn's home in Arlington.
1: Are you going to tell me he doesn't drive also? Wait, how did you know? I just felt
0: (laughs) So, later on it comes out that David doesn't drive, his elderly mother doesn't drive, so now there's this unnamed possible accomplice that has to be around driving him to crime scenes and then disappearing without a trace.
1: Multiple days, too.
0: Yeah. So, David Vasquez is convicted of this murder. So, it would be five years until they discover that Carolyn's real killer is a man named Timothy Wilson Spencer, who, in between the time that Vasquez is sitting in jail for this murder and the time that Spencer is caught, kills at least four other women. I'm a thousand percent sure that he killed other people, but he kills at least four other women that we know of. Okay. And basically this guy changes forever the way that murders are investigated in the United States. This is the story of the South Side Strangler. I'm Natalie Levy.
1: And I'm Michael Costa.
0: And this is Detective Society. Episode of Detective Society. It I'm is. your host Natalie.
1: I'm your other host Michael.
0: Um, and just as an introduction to the show, uh, we're going to be exploring murders, crimes, both solved and unsolved, in the Washington D.C. area. So that includes Virginia and Maryland.
1: Known in these parts as the DMV.
0: <laughs> Known as the DMV the colloquially, DMV. if you're in the know. That's so lame. Um,
1: I mean, if you're a Washington insider, that is.
0: Oh, I guess. Uh, So I have been a true crime buff my whole life, um, and I recently started listening to way too many true crime podcasts, specifically... Um, Stuff like my favorite murder, true crime dropping. garage, shout out, um, and no, I just wanted to give credit where credit was due, because you know they're my influences now at this point mm-hmm. in my professional career as a podcaster. Yes, because we're clearly professionals.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I keep a very professional demeanor both here and in daily life. Yeah. <laughs>
0: So anyway, uh, we both live in Washington, D.C. Clearly, I'm a glutton for punishment because I just obviously want to think that there's a serial killer living around every corner. Um, And and
1: I know some listeners might be thinking, well, hey, wait a second. You guys are only doing this area because you you live there. And I want to say, yeah, mostly. But also... For a long period of time there, D.C. and the D.C. area was the murder capital of this country. I mean, the metropolitan area through most of the 80s had the highest murder uh, per capita than any other city or metropolitan area in the country. And a lot of that had to do with the demographics and the crack epidemic that was going on. But uh, there's definitely a in a very morbid way, our cup runneth over with material.
0: With material for murders?
1: Um, myself, I'm not much of a crime buff. I have always kind of hated this stuff. Um, as a child, when I'd accidentally catch a glimpse of those, you know, so-and-so murdered his wife with a baseball bat shows, I would just assume that, oh, that's what people did. I guess my parents knew that one day and then not be able to fall asleep that night. That's insane. Um... Well, as an adult, I still don't really care for it, but I find do find the criminal process very fascinating.
0: And I find true crime very fascinating. And so I guess, uh, hopefully, that'll make a good combination. If not, please let us know uh, by tweeting at us. And or...
1: f- yeah, and, and feel free to be as mean and ruthless oh, as possible. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. the internet. I'm not, you know, I can take it. I got skin, not so thick, but I I have skin.
0: I have very thin skin, so you can be really, really mean to Michael, but um, be extra nice to me, and then it'll kind of even out. Um, That being said, uh, I'm not a historian, um, but I do do love history, and I do love research, so if at any point there are any kind of inaccuracies or we make any mistakes in our research, feel free to reach out to us. You can we, tweet us at The Detective Pod or just search Detective Society on Twitter or email us at detective society pod at gmail.com.
1: I think we might also have a Facebook page in the future or Wait, now.
0: I mean, we don't right now, but I can definitely set one up if the masses are thirsting for it.
1: Thirsty masses. <laughs> the thirsty masses. And to you know, piggyback on what she said, we don't have any qualifications or really experiences. We're just doing this out of a passion, really. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Both have a love for research and are a bit morbid.
0: Yeah, and I kind of, I like visiting creepy places, so I might just tweet a bunch of
1: really disturbing pictures of people's homes. (laughs) That sounds like a way to make it sued or arrested. But you know what? I'm with you. I, I support you.
0: That's true. But back to what the people want to hear obviously
1: are we getting back into the story we're
0: going to be getting back into the south side strangler case oh man this guy is a real piece of work
1: the, the triple s as he was known by his friends probably not
0: Spencer, it's extremely hard to find any information on him from before he had a criminal record. So anything about his childhood or what his life was like. His home
1: life. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
0: Anything like that is really hard to find. So um, actually, if we have anyone listening who knows anything or who might be able to point us in the right direction, feel free to tweet at us or email us. I would I would love to learn more.
1: Yeah, I know you usually find that stuff kind of fascinating. Yeah,
0: I, I mean, I definitely do, especially if they have weird or tumultuous childhoods. I just find it really interesting. Um, but of the little that we do know, we can make a few assumptions. So we know that Spencer was raised in a neighborhood in Arlington called Green Valley. Um... Now, if you, if you Google Green Valley, Uh the first result, um, is lovingly titled shittiest neighborhood in Arlington.
1: Well, that, I don't know that actually seems like an accomplishment. I mean, Arlington's not great. It is the Pentagon, a mall and a bunch of condos and apartments.
0: Yeah. So have fun Googling Green Valley, Arlington. Um, but recently Green Valley was rebranded by the city of Arlington.
1: Another one of these?
0: as the knock
1: neighborhood the knock
0: n-a-u-c-k no no no
1: no no is that like native american or I
0: something i have no idea i was trying to figure i really don't know
1: and they changed it from what again
0: from green valley I which wanna, was already I, kind of nice i sounding. don't want to
1: live in either of those places i don't i don't either they keep doing this any but anyways go ahead
0: Um, So in the 1970s, when Spencer was growing up, it was a pretty rough part of town. Uh, The police already kind of had him on their radar. This will come back a little bit later, since as, I guess, a kid, he had been caught committing burglaries, and evidently he set fire to cars.
1: So he he got started at a young age.
0: Yeah, and actually, so I don't know if you know about this. Have you heard of the McDonald Triad?
1: Is that the thing that, like, it was a lo- it was this l- long held idea and, and, and theory that was never really proven that children that meet these three, like, criteria yeah. grow up to be, like, killers or something?
0: Yeah, so they're bedwetting, arson, and cruelty to animals. And so I would be really interested in finding out more about his childhood.
1: Hmm. Me yeah, too. so
0: he definitely committed arson. Um,. We also know that before Spencer was ever suspected of any murders, he had already been incarcerated for multiple burglaries, which kind of attest for these like long periods of time where he was inactive.
1: Oh, like gaps between victims. Yeah, oh, okay. exactly.
0: So the entire picture being painted of this guy is one of a really, really troubled young man. And something that I find really, really startling is how young he was when he committed these like really brutal, horrifying crimes. So by the time that he was 22 in 1984, he had already committed countless burglaries, a string of rapes, really terrible rapes that we'll talk about later, and the murder of Carolyn Jean Ham. He was 22.
1: I had been picturing a guy in his like forties this whole time as we were prepping for this episode. No.
0: He's extremely odd. Um so that same year, later on in 1984, he would be arrested for a burglary, which is why right after David Vasquez went to jail, there are no more murders that match this MO.
1: Because he's not on the streets anymore. Because he's no
0: longer on the streets, exactly. Um, which
1: confirms the Arlington PD's assumption that they got their man.
0: Exactly. There was that's something that's so heartbreaking about this case is that there was all kinds of validation for the police and the work that they were doing even though I mean they they were sent on these kind of wild goose chases by potential witnesses who actually never really saw what they thought they saw. It's it's really heartbreaking from any angle you look at it. So Spencer doesn't resurface until 1987 when he's released from prison and living at a halfway house. So let's talk about Debbie Dudley Davis. Number one, I love this name. I just want to say it like all day long. Debbie Dudley Davis.
1: Triple S now Triple D. Yeah.
0: Anyway, she seemed... She seemed really cool. She seemed like the kind of woman that, like, I really wanted to grow up to be in college. So she's an account executive at a Richmond magazine um, in Richmond, Virginia. And she, in addition to that, she works part-time at a bookstore. And if you look up pictures of her, she has, like, this beautiful puff of very curly, artsy 80s hair. And... She just seems, like, all around really rad. Like, the kind of girl who was made for romantic comedies. Really, really awesome. But, um...
1: If she hadn't been featured on this podcast, possible mentor for you.
0: Yes. (laughs) So, on, um... On September 19th, 1987, police discover her body. Uh, again, pretty viciously murdered. Um, and get this... She is found raped, strangled, and face down on her bed, tied up with a thin cord. So who does that sound like?
1: Well, that sounds like our strangler.
0: But her murder occurs in Richmond, not in Arlington. So no one has yet made this connection.
1: And for for people who don't have a working understanding of the area and don't feel like getting on Google Maps, those two places are... Like, 2 hours apart or Yeah, not
0: not that far from each other.
1: But also not close enough where yeah. it's easy to make the leap that oh this is the same guy from cuz this also is years later now. We're talking almost 4 years yeah, later.
0: Yeah.
1: From the original and they put the original guy in bars they thought.
0: So that was September 19th. Mhm. October 3rd. Dr. Susan Helms. She's 31 years old. She's a goddamn neurosurgeon at 31. And not only is she really, really smart, but she's also, according to some biographies of her, she's also known for being extremely funny. Like, really just a beautiful treasure. So, on October 3rd, her husband, her husband, Marcel, comes home super early in the morning and discovers her body in their closet.
1: Oh God.
0: I know. So... (sighs) She has also been raped and strangled, um, but is left partially clothed. I accidentally saw a crime scene photo, and it's horrible. Don't look it up. Um, Good for you, Susan. I guess she fought because the police found that the strangler, her attacker, had to use two belts to strangle her.
1: My God.
0: I know. And one of the saddest things of like, that I've seen in my research for this case was the inscription on her grave reads, to know her was to love her.
1: So she was, she was very popular. She
0: was very popular, she was beautiful, she was smart. She was a neurosurgeon at 31. I really know how to pick them, I guess, ugh. Oh my God. Okay, get ready, cause it only gets worse. That was October 3rd, November 22nd. The body of 15 year old high school student Diane Cho is discovered in her family's apartment. She was murdered while her parents and brother slept in the same apartment.
1: How, how, what? I don't
0: know. The killer entered through a second story window. So I guess he came into her room. He must've known where she was sleeping. He came into her room. I'm sure that he said, like, be quiet or I'll murder you and your whole family. Um, he bound Cho's hands, raped her, and strangled her with a rope. Could you imagine being that family? Like, being that brother? Oh, God. Okay. So, finally, finally, we get to his fourth and final victim that we know of. Uh, she's a woman named Susan Trucker. Oh, my God, this is another one that I looked up a picture of her online, and she's so adorable. She, she's just, like, so cute. She has, like, these, you know, those, like, big glasses. And she's, like, oh, she, she just, like, you just want to, like, hang out and drink wine with her. Okay. Um, so on November 27th, not even, one, so he murders Diane Cho. Her body is found November 22nd. November 27th, not even a, a week later, same ML. He breaks into Suzanne's apartment and brutally rapes and murders her. Now, Spencer was hard to get because he was very, very smart, like I mentioned earlier. Um, According to the police, quote, the killer left no fingerprints or fibers behind. He'd wiped off the surfaces he touched. He even rubbed his footprint off the washing machine he stepped on after climbing through the basement window of Trucker's home.
1: So, it definitely doesn't fit fit, uh, our original perp from the first case.
0: No, not at all. With his
1: IQ and abilities, at least... what seemed like good, honest police work at first has slowly been unraveling. And all of these are taking place in Richmond?
0: No. Oh, sorry guys. Our dog is barking. Are you done, fella?
1: Rusty. Rusty.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Um. So, most of his murders took place in Richmond, Virginia. But his first murder that we know of, Carolyn Ham. Yes. Was in Arlington.
1: Which was his hometown. His
0: hometown. And his last murder that we know of, Susan Trucker, also in Arlington, which is where Joe Horgas enters the picture. Is it Horgas or Horgas?
1: I don't know, but I just, I'm compelled to think to myself that 22nd of November, he kills Cho. Mm-hmm. 27th, he's in Arlington. Yep. Probably visiting family for the Thanksgiving holidays. So, because he's in a halfway home in Richmond during these three murders of this year, correct?
0: Do you want to hear the worst thing about Suzanne Truckers' murder? And it's not the worst thing. The worst thing is that she was murdered. yeah. He had just come from seeing his mother. Yep. Yep. So, enter Detective Joe Horgus. I'm gonna I'm gonna pronounce it Horgus. If it's Horgas, I'm sorry. Um. As I said, all of Spencer's victims, except for the first and the last that we know of, lived in Arlington. Or lived in Richmond. Those two lived in Arlington. After Trucker's body is found, obviously they call the police, and Detective Horgus is placed on the case. He shows up at the crime scene and immediately realizes, like, oh, I've seen this before. So... Instead of thinking like, oh, I guess we got the wrong guy, he immediately assumes this is Vasquez's mystery accomplice that we've been looking for.
1: So because the police had put one and two together that Vasquez and his mom couldn't drive, and so someone had to have gotten him out to the original case.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So
1: Did Horgas, do we know, did he work that original case or like it's just...
0: It's unclear.
1: It's familiar in the department maybe. Yeah. Okay.
0: It's unclear as to whether he was on the original case, but my assumption is that he was not because of the way that he moves forward with this case. Okay. So he drives down to Buckingham Correctional Center um, to ask Vasquez like who this guy is and the entire time... Fazquez is easily confused. He just keeps telling him that he's innocent, that he doesn't have an accomplice because he didn't do it. And keep in mind, this is a mentally disabled man who is just desperate to get out of prison. Yeah, He wants to tell Horgus whatever he wants, if it'll get him out of prison. But he doesn't know what he's supposed to say. So by the time Horgas is done speaking to him, he's basically convinced that they have the wrong guy. He even goes as far as to tell the warden, like, this guy doesn't belong here. Um, so now, in addition to getting justice for the victims, Joe Horgas has basically a loan on his shoulders the job of getting justice for David Vasquez. Yeah. Because if he knows that if he doesn't find this other guy, Vasquez is going to sit in jail forever. So Horcus goes back and combs the records um, for violent crimes that occurred both in Richmond and Arlington that matched the M.O. of the man that they're looking for. By now, he's being referred to as the South Side Strangler. And what he finds is more horrifying than, like, all of this other stuff that we've just talked about.
1: i got to prepare myself for that, okay.
0: In the ramp-up to Carolyn Ham's murder in 1984. Uh-huh. Nine other violent rapes occur in basically a 2-mile vicinity of her home. Nine. And they all follow the same pattern. They all basically follow the same MO. They all got to look at their attacker and say, "This guy is a young black guy wearing a ski mask who came in with a knife and told me he was going to stab me. And they basically escalate in intensity throughout the nine until we get to Carolyn Ham, who is murdered. So I'm quoting from an article that I read. Starting with the fourth victim, all of the women had been tied up with rope or cords from Venetian blinds. The fifth victim had been locked in the trunk of a car that was subsequently set on fire, but she was able to kick her way out and escape. The last victim... Which who, is it? A,
1: that's a, an M.O. from his early criminal days. Yes.
0: The last victim, who lived just six blocks away from Carolyn Ham, had been attacked on January 25th six hours after Ham's body was discovered. This guy was just insatiable. He was, he just couldn't be stopped. And so this was 1984 before DNA evidence had ever been used for anything other than like, it had just been,
1: it had been supporting evidence, but it hadn't well, been like that. and
0: like paternity tests. So you could win a child support suit using DNA evidence, but you couldn't really win anything criminal yet. Um, so he personally, not only does he go out and talk to these nine the victims. The Joe Horgas, He goes out and talks to these nine victims, gets a good idea of what their attacker was like. He takes evidence that had been in lockup from their crimes. He takes evidence from the four newest crimes, the, the four murders. The
1: two in Richmond and the...
0: Yeah.
1: The two in Richmond and one in two in Arlington? Oh, I'm Arlington. sorry. So
0: it was the three most recent ones. It was the two in Richmond and the one in Arlington. Um, and he... Flies it all personally up to a super state of the art lab called Life Codes in New York. So those are going to take six weeks to be analyzed. While those are being analyzed, he travels back down to Virginia to work with an FBI behavioral scientist. And he's doing all of this just to prove that there is a serial killer. Yeah. At this point, no one has put together that these are all the same guy. He's just working off what he believes is right. Well, the FBI completely agrees with him. So, based on the FBI's psychological profiling, this setting
1: per- confirmation of your opinions yeah. probably ever.
0: This perpetrator would only stop attacking women if he died or was locked up. So, the dates in which he was in jail were the dates in which he stopped. Uh, they advised Corgis to look for someone who had been arrested for burglary shortly after the Ham murder in January 1984 and released just before the first Richmond murder, 1987. Guess who fits the profile? Our strangler. Timothy Wilson Spencer. So, good on all of these rape victims who came forward and worked with him because they are heroes, like without all their testimony and their willingness to come forward.
1: And to, to, to drag up, well, at this point, was ancient history almost.
0: Yeah. They would have never found this guy. And Joe Horgas remembered from his early days on the force this kid in Arlington who used to set fire to cars. Wow. Yeah.
1: So the, he he talks to the victim about the car fire one and
0: yeah, and all of a sudden he's like, "Wait a minute! Like I I remember a kid who used to do this," which is how he sets off on the right direction. So, Richmond police agree to put Spencer under surveillance, <laughs> under surveillance, but after a week of watching him and he does nothing, they decide to call it off.
1: And then another murder happened.
0: Oh, hell no. Oh, thank God. So guess what? Arlington's female prosecutor, Helen Fahey, was not having any of that. She heard that Richmond was calling off the surveillance and, quote, she freaked out. (laughs) She said, there's no damn way we've got to do something. So she basically takes evidence that they have on Spencer, who had been at the same time committing burglaries. God, this guy got out and then immediately went back to his old ways. Anyway, he had been at the same time committing burglaries, and she takes the burglary evidence over to a grand jury Basically just to get him off the streets. They don't mention the rapes. They don't mention the murders. It's just so that he doesn't hurt anyone else in the meantime. So they arrest him and he's completely silent. They think like, oh man, he's going to talk. He's going to want to tell someone. Nope. Doesn't say anything about the rapes or the murders. So on March 16th, they finally get the DNA results back.
1: From the fancy lab up in New York. Yeah. And so
0: Spencer's DNA matched DNA left at the murders of Suzanne Tucker, or I'm sorry, Suzanne Trucker, Debbie Davis, Susan Helms, and one of the Arlington rapes from earlier. Which connects him back to all the other crimes back in Arlington in nineteen eighty-four. So, actually, this is really, really cute. Horgus was interviewed, and he says When everything I did was finally deemed credible, I was ecstatic. Helen Fahey was standing by my desk, and she even gave me a kiss on the cheek. Now, she might not remember that, but I do. I just think
1: that's so
0: cute. Like, imagining, like, these two, like, crime-fighting together. I don't... And there's something about the 80s that makes everything, like, kind of cute and yellow.
1: And there's something about covering a story like this that makes you want to pull out any little shred of decent humanity (gasps) during it. Right, like, you're
0: just really gunning for the only people who you can hold on to and say, like, yes, you're so good. Yeah. Okay, so finally... They think they have this guy, so they move to trial. Now, keep in mind, this is the first time that DNA evidence has ever been used in a criminal case in the United States, especially a criminal case of this magnitude.
1: Which is difficult.
0: It's hard. So they're trying to convict him of capital murder and... People have no idea what DNA means, if it's reliable, how it's used, why they should believe in it.
1: Because a good defense attorney is going to make the government explain in excruciating detail how DNA negligence works, hoping the jury just can't make sense of it.
0: But they did. So in 1988, and then again in 1989, he's found guilty of two counts of capital murder. Awesome, right? End of story. Congratulations, everyone. Except no, because remember David Vasquez?
1: Yeah, poor Mr. Vasquez.
0: So David Vasquez had been convicted of the murder of Carolyn Ham. Yes. The DNA evidence from Carolyn Ham's murder had been degraded so much over time that they couldn't test it.
1: And there's, they, okay, okay. So what happens? So, to, now I'm, I'm on the verge of tears. I've got to know what happens to Mr. Vasquez.
0: So Vasquez's only hope is for a pardon from the governor. Now keep in mind, this is a Hispanic man in the 1980s in Virginia with an IQ of less than 70. Obviously, our dream team, Horgis and Fahey, are not going to let this one slide. So in addition to all the crazy work that they did to convict Spencer, they also decide that they're going to take on Vasquez's case. So Fahey contacts the FBI to get a behavioral specialist to assess Vasquez. And together, the FBI, Fahey, and Horgis draft up a 35-page report on all the reasons that they believe Vazquez is innocent, and Fahey writes a special letter petitioning for a pardon to the governor. So, on January 9th, or oh, I'm sorry, on January 4th, 1989, David Vazquez becomes the first person to be exonerated by the use of DNA evidence, inadvertently as it was. And on April 27th, 1984. at the age of 32, the South Side Strangler, Timothy Spencer, was the first person to be executed on the merit of DNA evidence.
1: And, and nowadays, I mean, DNA evidence is, for prosecutors, is like the the gold standards, the thing this you case want. This
0: set the president. You
1: like,
0: this case changed forever the way that we look and at murder in the United for, States. For
1: 100 years before this, it was about fingerprints.
0: Yeah. And... And who knows about this case? I'd never heard of it before I started looking into this area.
1: I, I, yeah, I mean, I feel like I've heard of the case that started DNA testing, but like there was not a lot of talk about what the case was or that this poor innocent man, Mr. Vasquez was rotting in jail for five years for a crime that he didn't nor was capable of committing. That, I, God,
0: that for me is, like, the most heartbreaking part is just that, like, he sat in jail and, like, you... I read the transcript of his confessions. Uh Uh-huh. They're garbage. They're dumpster fires. They're complete garbage of Detective 1 saying, well, didn't you strangle her? And him saying, yeah, I did. And Detective 2 saying, well, what did you strangle her with? And Vasquez saying... I don't know what. What did I strangle her with? Sorry, we've got a a coughing dog in the background.
1: It's not a sound effect because we're talking about strangling. That would be weird and macabre. Yeah, no. Absolutely not. Are you
0: done? No.
1: (laughs) Okay, she's done.
0: Okay, so... Where was I? Oh, my God, yeah.
1: And to be Vasquez's poor mother in this situation, like... I just... And hold on. we No, we didn't talk about. Who were these neighbors that were fingering Vasquez? Why did they think he was responsible? Did Vasquez have some tie to the area? I
0: could... So, from what I found, he had been the janitor at Arlington High School before he and his mother had moved to Manassas. Okay. But...
1: There was no
0: real explanation as to why they had zeroed in on this guy, like these two neighbors, or that they were even in cahoots together. It just seems like maybe they had seen a Hispanic guy and assumed it was him. I, It's so hard to tell with these kind of cases and with eyewitness accounts. They're normally, I mean, we know now that they're not as reliable as we once thought they were. And
1: I think that really kind of. Shows the importance of this case and DNA evidence that the original guy who was the wrong guy is convicted. I mean, on a con- coerced confession and the God. eyewitness testimony of two neighbors. It's who like
0: painful to read. Didn't even
1: have close to correct as to what's going on.
0: Yeah. There's an entire Innocence Project uh, entry on this guy, which I'll, I'll definitely tweet
1: once. You'll I'm link running. to it for yeah. the list. I just... And the fact that those things led to this guy being on the loose and killing, what was it? Is it four more people that we know of after the four first murder? Four more people
0: that we know of because...
1: And, and countless many rapes that weren't attributed to him. Like, who who knows with this kind of thing?
0: And, like, who knows what he was planning? I mean, he, was so, he was so depraved it was upsetting. Like, a 15-year-old as her parents slept in the next
1: room and this whole time he's in his early 20s
0: he's so young
1: it just it, yeah i mean the society that 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 helped create that individual i don't i don't know it's this is a really tough uh, tough case to, to get a, a handle on i think it yeah. i mean you, but can all I, the respect to the the detective and the the, the DA for Fairfax County because again like he could have met with Vasquez and said, well, Vasquez isn't the guy, and just moved on.
0: I know. This guy, Joe Horgas, actually, he works down in Florida now, and he, uh, he like, oversees some kind of criminal investigations unit. He's awesome. He's a he's a hero. High five to you, Joe Horgas. High five to you, Helen Fahey. Those two, in my dream, they, like... Get married. Yeah,
1: they have like a buddy cop movie yeah, together. Yeah, it's beautiful. You know, he's the messy one. She's the clean, stick-by-the-rules type. Yeah, yeah. Like Starsky and Hutch. I, I see it. I see it. Okay, so we're not in an hour yet, but
0: can I tell you the, like, crazy surprise twist of this whole case?
1: There's another twist? Oh, my God. It's the worst. People are garbage, Michael.
0: On January 16th, 1988, Raina... Shapori and Michael St. Hilaire.
1: Oh god, these names are horrible. <laughs> they sound like bad porn star names.
0: Were found dead within a few blocks of each other well, no, in I wish circumstances I had said that. which appeared similar to previous murders by the Southside Strangler. Initially, that threw an entire wrench into the investigation because
1: it seems like they have the wrong guy now.
0: Yeah, again. Yeah. Shapori's death was subsequently determined to be the work of a copycat. Naturally. As she had not been raped as uh, like the previous victims and that St. Hilaire's death was ultimately ruled a suicide.
1: Well, that sounds like bad initial police work. It sounds like bad police work. People are the worst. Sounds like 1980s Arlington PD... They were trying. Like, they were they were putting in an effort, but leaving a bit to be desired with an end result there. Yeah. And again, poor Mr. Vasquez. Oh, God.
0: He's the one that, like, my heart breaks for. I can't I. I, I hope he got a good settlement from the state.
1: Honestly, in cases like this, probably not. What? Yeah.
0: Why do you say that?
1: His family doesn't have any money. What kind of proceeding to cost money.
0: Oh, God. I don't
1: know. But maybe, I mean, I don't know. I'm not an expert maybe in these the kind of things.
0: Project paid for If anyone knows, tweeted us. Let, let yeah. us know. I we, gotta we, know what happened we, to David We know
1: nothing. Like, I just said a f- statement about people suing the government for wrong imprisonment. Like, I knew what I was talking about. And I don't know what I'm talking about. It just doesn't seem like something that happens that often.
0: Michael, the tweeters might
1: know. The Tweetosphere? Yeah. The interwebs? I mean, the tubes. The connected tubes. Yeah. We'll call Al Gore. We'll know.
0: Al Gore, if you're listening, let us know what happened to David Vasquez. Oh my god, if
1: Al Gore's listening, that'd be cool.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, guys, um, thanks for listening. Uh, I'm Natalie Levy.
1: I'm Michael Casa.
0: This is Detective Society. You can reach us at...
1: at Detective Pod on Twitter.
0: Oh god, I really gotta look this up. At, yeah, The Detective Pod on Twitter. And at Societypod at gmail.com. And maybe a Facebook page eventually in the future.
1: Thank you so much for listening, guys. Bye. Stay safe.